But I was reading this story about this gentleman and his grandson, and the son was, grandson was watching the Animal Channel, and he, it was all about bears. And that night, he had a really bad dream. And so he woke up the next morning, and he said to his mom, he said, Mom, I had a dream that a bear was chasing me. He was about six. And, the, and he said, um, in that situation, am I the predator or the prey? And she said, well, in that situation, you would be the prey. And he said, oh, yeah, that makes sense because everyone would be praying for me if that happened. <laughs> so if you feel like the prey, get Nora praying for you <laughs> these days. Um, but it's a good thing that we talked about meditation last week and we're talking about prayer this week because the two are tightly intertwined. The two go hand in hand. Um, they're as do all the anchors, really, because all of the anchors that we've been talking about are about us abiding in Christ and remaining in Christ. When we turn from our own ways and the ways of this world and we accept what Jesus did at the cross, redeeming us from our sin, we have complete and unhindered access to God. Nothing can change that. But we practice these anchors not to get access to God, but to remind ourselves to abide and remain in Christ. So that's what we're talking about with these disciplines. John 15, 9 says that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So these anchors that we've been talking about are about abiding in Christ. So did you spend time this week? meditating on the Lord? Did you spend time listening and giving space to what the Holy Spirit might have been speaking to you? Remember that when we meditate, we reflect on God's works, rehearse God's deeds, ruminate, chew on, savor God's laws, and we listen to God's word. So did you all listen this week? Did you take time for that? I hope so. Did you find someone you needed to reach out to this week? That's what I tasked you all with this week. I hope you did. All of these different anchors are ways of communicating with, remaining with, identifying with Jesus. As we practice these disciplines, we experience relationship with God. What is prayer? It's an act of laying out our petitions, requests, challenges, and struggles before God. Henry Nowlin describes prayer as an act of opening clenched fists and opening them to God. It's a beautiful thing. He says, praying is no easy matter. It demands a relationship in which you allow someone other than yourself into the very center of your being to see there what you would rather leave in darkness and to touch what you would rather leave untouched. So in prayer, we come with open hands and we bring our concerns. We bring concerns of sustenance. I need this, God. How? We bring our, I need my, I need, God, I have needs. We bring our sin. God, I'm struggling with this bondage or that sin or that issue. And we bring it to God. And spiritual battle, the challenges we are facing and the wars raging around us. That's what we do in prayer. Richard Foster differentiates between meditation, study, and prayer in this way. Meditation introduces us to the inner life. Fasting is an accompanying means 
Study transforms our minds. But it's the discipline of prayer that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, if we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. Prayer changes us. Prayer can change people, life, and the land around us. There's prayer on behalf of a friend or a family member. Remember the friends of this guy who was crippled and they brought him to Jesus? Actually, over and over in the New Testament are stories of people bringing others to Jesus for a touch. That's a type of prayer for individuals. There are prayers on behalf of people, groups. Think of Moses and Esther and Daniel. They prayed on behalf of their community. And then another example was just Nora just now praying for the sick, the alone, the angry. She brought them to God in her prayer. We can do that and it can change things. I have seen prayer change things. I have seen prayer set captives free from sin. I've seen prayer heal people physically. I've seen prayer comfort weary and worn and mourning hearts. I've seen prayer bring deliverance from demonic bondage, from fear, control, anger, rage, addiction. I've seen prayer release forgiveness. Wow, forgiveness is a big one. We got to operate in forgiveness. I've seen prayer reconcile and transform relationships. And I read a story this week again about prayer even changing the way you work, something very simple. I was reading about a website architect, and she was contracted to work for a big bank, and she was hired specifically to upgrade the banking platform for people with disabilities. And everyone told her, you can't do this. There's no way you can do this. You don't have the skills. No one else can do it, so why should you be able to do it? And she said, you know what? You're right. I can't do this. But she prayed and prayed and prayed, and every day God gave her the wisdom she needed for that day, for that line of code, for the web page she was working on for that day. And by some miracle, she was able to release that, and everyone was shocked. God answered her prayers with how to work. Meditation and prayer are critical to life in Christ. They feed the inner being Oh my goodness, forgive me for my rudimentary drawings. <laughs> I didn't have time to learn how to do this in PowerPoint this week. <laughs> so I have this little drawing that hopefully you can make some sense of. I think it's easier for the people online. There's three circles here. In the top circle, I have like a personal, individual circle, and it says inward disciplines. In the green circle to the right, it's... Um, Oh gosh, I can't even read it. <laughs> it's relational. That, these cameras are better than those ones. <laughs> um, or screens. It's a relational circle with a handful of life-giving relationships. And those are the outward disciplines. And then in the bottom left-hand circle, we have a collective circle. It's like gathering in the synagogue or gathering like we do here or gathering online. 
this, this, the collective circle reminds us we're part of a much bigger picture. So if we look at that individual discipline, that's where we find things like prayer and meditation. It's that place where we decide for our own selves, I'm going to surrender my time, talent, treasure, and attention to Jesus. That's the inward. That's that meditation and that surrender. And then that relational component over there is that you need, we need, I need a handful of friends. I don't need a hundred. I just need a handful of friends that I can live at another deeper level with. Those are the friends that spur you on to good deeds and serving others. Those are the friends that tell you when, oh, I think, I think something's wrong or can I challenge you on something? Those are the friends that just sit and weep with you when you need to weep. So we need this personal inward discipline, but we also need a relational outward discipline with, with friends. And then we need this collective worship experience. In the New Testament, the disciples would go to the synagogue, right? They would still have worship gatherings. For us today, this is a little challenging, right? but we can read more broadly than what our own tradition has or what we do here. We can learn from Jesus followers of different cultures. We can study historical people of faith. That corporate aspect, it's a practice that reminds us that we're a much part of a much larger body of Christ throughout the earth. We need to have, we need all three for a healthy life in Christ. Not one of these components is more valuable than the other. Some people come to faith on their own. Some people come to faith because of a friend. Some people come to faith because they're in a worship gathering, something like this. It's so interesting how the Holy Spirit uses all these different spaces to bring us to him. Like I said, not one is more important than the other. It's like, I can't live without a lung. I can't live without my brain, and I can't live without my heart, right? I need all three. But it's often the inward disciplines that fuel our ability to be at home in the presence of others, in the presence of God, and to be a light in our spheres of influence. I sometimes wonder in this season where we are more confined to our homes, where... Um, Things are just more difficult for those larger gatherings. If it isn't a training period, that if God wouldn't use this to allow our roots to grow deeper in the inward disciplines. I wonder if the Christian church in America is really good at the collective corporate disciplines. And if there needs to be a newfound priority into the inward and the relational or the outward disciplines. We see inward, we see the, the, the prayer and meditation modeled throughout, the, throughout history. So in biblical times, there's King David, who's known for being a man after God's own heart. This is how David sings. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Jesus modeled this. We've repeated this one a few times the last couple of weeks. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. This, this, this fueled Jesus for his ministry. 
I told the story of Harriet Tubman last week and how prayer fueled her ministry and the task set before her. The 16th century church Martin Luther, reformer Martin Luther said, I have so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Our own Tom Sanger loves <laughs> to repeat this, but he puts it in his own words. I have so much to do today, I don't have time to pray when we should be saying, I have so much to do today, I can't afford not to pray. Thought that might make you all laugh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, enough about prayer and why we should pray. How do we pray? How do we do this? Maybe you've never prayed for, before. Here's what's cool. Jesus tells us. So let's read Matthew 6. I'm going to read it in a different translation because this message has been preached thousands of times. And I thought by reading it in a different translation, we might all hear it with new ears. Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received in full their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God, praying to him in secret and your father who sees all you do will reward you openly. When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases praying like those who don't know God, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There is no need to imitate them since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. Our father dwelling in the heavenly realms May the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth, just as it is fulfilled in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. So let's talk a bit through this. Jesus starts out saying, go into your inner room, your storehouse. Close the door and pray. There's a hiddenness to prayer. There's a hiddenness. There, there are other examples when Jesus actually entreats his disciples to pray with him. So not all prayer is meant to be solitary. However, there is a place for prayer that is solitary. When we pray publicly, we should consider our motivation, though. It's not for show. We also, we don't need to ramble or repeat. <laughs> I'm prone to do that. I've done that before, even standing right here. <laughs> we don't need to do that. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask. He's listening, but he doesn't want to be manipulated through ritual prayer. We don't pray to give God information, but to express our desires, needs, and dependence. Our Father. 
I love that Jesus uses father because at that time in history, people weren't used to talking to God as a parent, as someone who they could connect with on that intimate level. God was the father of the nation. God was the I am. God was this far and distant lofty person that it took all the stuff to get to. For That's the way sometimes people think of God. Don't we do that today? And yet God wants to think, us. To, Jesus is saying, you can think of God as a good father, a good parent, an intimate kind. And he's not just your father, he's our father. The Lord's Prayer is split into two sections. Let me go back to that thing about God being a good father. If you don't know God that way, and you'd like to explore that idea, let's talk. Let's talk. Afterwards, we have prayer teams. We're here at church. You can contact us. We want to talk more with you about that. But there's two sections, too, to the Lord's Prayer. The first starts out with the big picture, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be the name on which our lives center. It's about his overarching redemptive plan. I love the juxtaposition. We have this intimate father that you could go to and chat about the day's work. And then you have this grand creator of the universe that is at work and has this overarching plan and things that, that are, are at work in the heavenlies. There's this kingdom realm that is happening that is way bigger and, and both of those come together in that opening line. Have your way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer starts out first about God. It's, a, it's worship. It's praise and thanksgiving, right? I know it's so amazing. We come before his presence with prayer and thanksgiving. And the second section is about sustenance, sin, and spiritual battle. I'll break it down for you in a bit. It's about daily bread, forgiveness, deliverance from evil. It's so interesting that when we focus first on God as, our, as this, um, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's like this big picture look at God, of God's greatness and just how awesome God is. It sets our filters right before we start talking about our needs and our challenges and the battles around us. I love that the Lord's Prayer is both for God and for us. Because everything about life with God is about relationship. It's never just about God or just about us. It's always, it models that relationship of focusing on who God is and bringing who we are to God. How beautiful that God we serve and love makes space for us and our needs. So the first one was sustenance, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's our very physical, basic need. I loved in the, the gratitude vlog how many people just said, thank you, God, for my health. Thank you, God, for food. Thank you, God, for provision. 
Jesus cares about our basic physical needs. They're important. And it's a reference. It's, it would remind Jesus' listeners about the manna, the food that God provided in the wilderness on a daily basis, one day at a time. Jesus is teaching us in this prayer about dependence on God on a daily basis. Our mercies are new every morning. His mercies for us are new every morning. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. What will we eat? What will we wear? Jesus tells his disciples when they go out to give and to preach the gospel and to preach the good news, take nothing for your journey. Be a people that are dependent on me and I will give you what you need. Now, this today thinking could be scary Remember, it's tempered by teachings about investments and patience and preparations, such as the parable of the talents or the parable of the ten virgins. But Jesus is really trying to teach us to live in the moment, be present for today. I think in this time of uncertainty, this is so real for us right now. The Father has daily provision for you. Open those hands to receive. The second thing the Lord's Prayer addresses is sin. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. After our physical needs are brought before God, then we look at our spiritual needs. How many times, for those of us who have kids in our lives, <laughs> when they're little and they're hungry, or tired, they're having complete meltdowns and we're trying to teach them to tie their shoe or pick up a toy or whatever. <laughs> it's really hard, isn't it? Isn't it as, as parents or as friends of little kids, we know, oh, we gotta get them some food. We gotta get them some rest. And then maybe we can teach them some life lessons <laughs> and get them to behave. I love that even this prayer, Jesus is like, Let me, let's ask God to take care of your physical needs and then we'll take care of your spiritual needs <laughs> sin after our physical needs are addressed we get to look at our spiritual need we get to bring it before the father we bring our trespasses debts wrongs and we forgive those who trespassed against us or at least we ask god to help us do that do you have sin you need to deal with today are you holding debts wrongs do you need forgiveness or to give forgiveness? Do you need freedom from sin or bondage or things that are just wrong in your life? There's good news. Good news. Salvation always follows repentance. And repentance is renouncing, rejecting, and asking God for forgiveness from that sin. Mark 1.15, Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. Acts 2.38, the apostle Peter, people ask him, how can we be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And another time, Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. Oh, how we need times of refreshing. 
these days in our land. Isn't it true? I love this translator's notes for this passage. Another way to translate it would be send away the results of our debts and shortcomings. Or the other one, give us serenity as we also allow others serenity. I thought that was interesting last week when, we, when there was such a, um, a measure of peace in our worship service. It's like, allow us to receive peace and give peace away. Allow us, give us peace and may we allow others peace. The third thing that the Lord's Prayer addresses is spiritual battle. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus recognizes that we are in a spiritual battle. It's so critical that we do too. A lot of us, we like to put the spiritual battle, sweep it under the rug, but it's a real thing. Acts 6, 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is real. There's a spiritual battle going on right now for you, for your family, for our land. But it's not against people. It's not against others it's against spiritual forces. If we don't accept this tru truth, we turn on one another and we fight the wrong enemies. This passage is often or this passage can be easily misunderstood to say that God wants to tempt us. Every commentary I read on this passage said, "Don't think God is trying to tempt you." <laughs> Because we know in James 1.13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. However, in these crazy times, God can use the struggles, can use the spiritual battle for our good, and God wants to deliver us from the um, troubles and challenges we're facing it. Jesus models this prayer because he knows we're going to need deliverance, that our will, our devotion, our attention will be tempted. It's interesting, that song we were singing about, um, there's another in the fire. That song references a passage in Daniel. It's, it's alluding lightly to, to a, a passage in Daniel where there are three... Um, three followers of God who refused to bow to an idol. It's really interesting in that passage because um, this is what they say. I don't have it in my notes because I just pulled it up today. He says, the God we serve, and, and when they're tempted to resist God and to follow this idol, or they're going to be thrown in a furnace, they say, go ahead and throw us in the furnace because we're not going to stop worshiping God. And this is what they say. They say, the God we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if God does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So there's this idea that we're in a spiritual battle, and God is able to deliver us, God will deliver us, 
But even if God doesn't, we're not going to serve other gods. And that's, that's an interesting tension we live in in these days. There's space for, for, for deliverance or trials. Look at these other, and Jesus is praying for us because Jesus knows this is our experience. Another translation puts it this way, rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. Do not let us be put into the ordeal of testing. That's the passion. The New Living Translation says, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The message puts it this way, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. <laughs> I like that simple prayer. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. <laughs> if you see me running around, keep us safe, keep us safe, keep us safe. You know, you know I'll be praying that because we're in a spiritual battle. Tim, Timothy Keller is an influential pastor in New York City, and he wrote a book on prayer. And this is what he says in his, in his book. In the second half of my adult life, I discovered prayer. I had to. In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms, and it became very clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it tried to rally. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease. And finally, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. That is a tough season. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every night, every night. And she used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. And as we remember it, she said it's something like this. Imagine you were diagnosed with a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could, miss, that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of what we are facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it slip our minds. It's true. We got to pray. Psalm 55, 16 through 18. I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Amen. I've prayed a lot this week with a lot of different people. I love praying. I've prayed with two families fighting cancer. One person said, 
Help me, Lord. Deliver me from this cancer. It's by your stripes I'm healed, but Lord, use me. Use me even in this place. I'm going to get teary-eyed now because I've been praying with a lot of people. I prayed with another friend who said, I don't know what to do. I feel so at a loss. And so we're praying together, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Give me a willing heart to sustain me. I prayed with someone else who held out two hands and said, I release my fears to you, God. I heard a prayer, help me, I'm lonely. I was praying with a friend for grace and mercy. And while I'm praying, the Holy Spirit convicts me that I ask, need to ask that friend for forgiveness. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Let's be a people of prayer. It's going to sustain us. It will sustain us. We can cast our cares on the Lord in this time. Will you please stand with me if you're here or join me at home? And could we pray this? I'm going back to the NIV or New King James Version. Can we pray this out loud together in conclusion? Does that sound good? Pray loud. I, 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 want people, I want our friends online to be able to hear your voices somehow. I, I don't know if it'll work. But I want our friends online to know that we're praying this for them too. So, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen.